hey everybody, welcome back to the Whitney Whiskey Cast. I'm here along with my cohort, Mark. Hello. Uh, I'm DJ, by the way. You should know that by now, but if this is your first episode, welcome. Where the uh, hell you been? Yeah, right? Uh, we've got some lovely episodes out there. Go check us out. But in the meantime, we're here to have another lovely argument this fine day. Someday we'll get back to educating each other. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Potentially. But before we get there, Mark, what you been up to this week? Oh, dear Lord. I had to basically reassemble my entire like house. Well, the living quarters of our house, anyway. Because what started off as a little mishap the wife had, she was trying to ch- trace wires, and I have a very you know, precise and not at all risky wiring setup behind our television, behind our entertainment center. And I I don't know exactly what she did, but something happened and it sparked and surged and it blew the surge plug out. So we had to go and get a bigger, better, badder surge plug. And of course, because of that, we had to, you know, unhook 14 things. And since this was the first time I had gone behind the TV in probably a decade, I said, well, you know, we have to pull it out anyway. Why don't we just rearrange the living room? Which, well, that was my mistake. (laughs) So we rearranged the whole living room. We rearranged the whole bar room. We rearranged a section of the bedroom. And it's just, I don't want to move furniture anymore. (laughs) I don't want to play anymore. I've been in that living room. I've seen the wires. It's terrifying (laughs) back there. Yes, and I found actually, uh, having moved one of the chairs, I found the mother of all nails in the floor. Uh, you guys had had to see this one. I mean, this was a good solid inch, inch and a half out. Woof. Yeah, it, we should probably explain that uh, Mark lives in a very old house, and uh, every time we come up to hang out with him, one of us cuts our foot open because uh, the nails just like to poke up through the floor. And see, the gimmick is, I don't even really do it on purpose, but you just, you become so used to it, you know, you become so walking around the house, you know almost instinctively, both myself and my wife, where the nails are, and where to avoid, and you don't even realize you're doing it, and then Lou just comes in and, you know, splits his fucking foot open from asshole to appetite, and it's like, god damn it. Yeah, you think by having an intimate knowledge of the nails in your floor that you would also have, you know, the motivation to nail them back down? No, those are not mutually exclusive. No, they are Uh, mutually exclusive. I can attest to it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that's been my last 72 hours. What what have you been up to? Oh, it was kind of hell week at work to the degree that I signed off early on Friday and just kind of sat there comatose for a little while. Um, I don't have this. Yeah, you know, it, everyone has them occasionally. But no, it, it was good. I got to clean out some of the kitchen this weekend. Got to clean out. It, we've only lived in this house for like three years and we already had like two-year-old food in the cabinets that needed to get nice. rid of. Yeah, it's it's hopeless. But yeah, that, that was great. We're just kind of getting ready for winter here, so I'm hoping in the next weekend or two we don't get a ton of rain so that I can kind of cut all the rest of the drywall I need to do and then spend the winter getting my office and closet done. But other than that, I just kind of hung out, played some video games. Uh, The new Overwatch Halloween event is out, so we frustrated ourselves trying to run away from the new ghost mode, and that was fun. 
See, all the I, I like to do Halloween event. I like you know all all the versions of Junkenstein, but all the PVE modes in Overwatch just frustrate me to own no end because it's like they give you this great candy, but briefly, mm-hmm. and then you're just left with regular Overwatch for fifty however many other weeks out of the year. Yeah, we're so. we're eagerly awaiting Overwatch Two, which may just be a PS Five thing at this point. I I would give a not inconsiderable amount of money to uh, get into the beta for that. So oh, so good. But yeah, I mean nothing super exciting. I picked up a couple of new books this week that I'm looking forward to getting. Of course, none of my books are ever nonfiction, which is always a fun thing between Mark and I. Uh, but I did find a what appears to be a novelization of my favorite Final Fantasy, which is 15. <laughs> I'm in the minority. I still have yet to play it. I, 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 want, I legitimately want to play it, but at this point, I don't want to play it just because it's funnier to be on the outside when you and AJ go back and forth. Uh, I love the game, dear listeners. I think it is a great game. I think it's a beautiful game and a wonderful game. They didn't finish it. And that's the problem. Well, I love the unfinished games. I mean, I play Payday, so maybe it'll be right up my alley. Yeah, you should play it, man. Then we can talk about it. See, when that first came out, I was going through a phase of playing a whole bunch of what I called simulators. Of course, the only one that actually was a true simulator was the game called Car Mechanic Simulator. I'm pretty sure Payday, we've all agreed, is a bag throwing simulator. Well, it is on Steam. It's listed on Steam. But weirdly enough, that actually wasn't one of the ones I was playing at the time. I was playing Car Mechanic Simulator. I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2, which I'm strongly in the minority and that I enjoyed. Yeah, I can't believe you Uh, do. Or as I called it, Cowboy Simulator. And then I was playing Kingdom Come Deliverance or Medieval Peasant Simulator. (laughs) So at the time, this was right when around when Final Fantasy XV came out, Conan O'Brien did a review of it, uh, which... The young lady that I work with, Allison, told me, you have to watch this. And she sent me the link. And I said, oh, my God, it's basically Boy Band Simulator. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, it is. So, I want, you know, that was going to be the fourth, uh, the fourth jewel in the crown was going to be Boy Band Simulator. But I never did pick it up. Yeah, Boy Band Road Trip Simulator. It's, it's great. It's so good. Before we get into our awesome topic this week, I have to know what you're drinking. Well, this is something that I have been looking for for a little while. And... People that live outside of Pennsylvania are going to sit here and go, huh, why have you been trying to find this? You can get it anywhere. No, you can't. Not in PA. Not until Wednesday when I found it. It's uh, Old Foresters, and it's basically a you know mid-range bourbon. But myself being myself, I was interested in that it is America's oldest bottled bourbon. Nice. Which literally means it was the first one to actually be sold in sealed glass bottles. Uh, but it's been around since 1870. Uh, it's pretty reasonably priced. I think it was only like $27 with our ungodly taxes we have here in Pennsylvania. So, and it's a pretty rye-heavy bourbon. So I was looking forward to it. And let me preface my review by saying it's not bad. <laughs> but... I think it's a case of don't meet your heroes a little bit. I had been looking for this for a little while. I had been looking forward to it for a little while. And it just sort of is. It's not good. It's not bad. It's 
smooth, but almost to the point of being flat, if that makes any sense. You do get a hit right away. It's kind of sweet, which I think also doesn't really help. It kind of almost tastes like a, a syrup. You might like it being up there in the Shire. Yeah. And then the rye hits you, but it's not really the more, you know, bitey rye taste. It almost tastes like bread, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, it's almost like you bit into a, a loaf of rye bread or, you know, uh, whole wheat pancakes or something like that. And it stays like that for quite a while. And then at the end, you get just a little bit of burn at the end, and then it just drops off. So it's not bad, but it's kind of bland. That's fair. I, th I think this would be great as a mixer, but just to sit here and drink it on my whiskey stones like I am now, eh. Uh, it's also only 86 proof, which is pretty low by the standards of the Witten Whiskey cast, it must be said. But I suppose that's normal for, you know, most people. Not good, not bad. I mean, I would take it over a Jim Beam, of course, but that's not really saying much. I can't really put it above Maker's Mark or anything like that. But for the money, yeah, you know, go ahead and try it. And hey, it's been around since 1870, so there is something to be said for longevity. So I guess out of 10, I'll give it a 6. That's that's fair. I, I can't claim that my experience is good today, and I really, really wanted it to. In my increasing attempts at trying to find a scotch that I like, I went for Black Bull 12-year-old blended scotch. Uh, I had a... It's one of my tasting vials. I looked it up. It's about a $60 bottle online, and I don't like it. <laughs> I wish I liked it. I don't. It's the first time. Twelve episodes. Uh, mark, you know, mark it. Tell your friends. I don't like this whiskey. I wish I did. I'm willing to bet that it's a lot of people's cup of tea, because it does have some of the. I think it's a space side mixed with the north side, and and it's a uh, hundred proof. I was excited. I looked at like the flavor profile online. I did my research. It's supposed to have like caramel and apple and and vanilla, and chocolate, and all of these flavors that I like, and it tastes like old shoe leather. <laughs> That's a proper scotch. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a gentleman's club inhaling other people's cigar smoke sitting in an uptight, uncomfortable leather chair. I don't like it. It's not for me. I'm going to finish the glass, of course, because we have an argument coming up, and we, we <laughs> I'm going to need it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm just, I'm not a big fan. I, I really wish I was. I'm going to continue trying to find scotches that I like. I would personally rate this at like a three, maybe a four. Like it's not quite as bad as some of the north side, you know, peaty stuff. That's not my palate. So I definitely won't say those are bad, but I do not like them. But it's got enough of it that I just, I like drinking a whiskey that tastes a little fruity and it's, you know, it's got a good burn to it, but has some like herbal qualities to it. And I was excited because I read all the things on the, the tasting notes. And then I, I spent the last like 10 minutes sitting here sipping and trying to get it through my palate. And I'm like, I just don't like it. So if you like blended scotches and you like old shoe leather feel free to check out it's again it's black bull 12 year old blended scotch whiskey yeah now see this could be interesting I, i'll have to take a look the next time i'm over at the liquor store uh and see if they have a bottle because 
I'm not saying that you're wrong by any stretch, but that sounds like it's a little bit more in my palette wheelhouse. So I would be curious to do a review of that myself and see how our reviews line up or don't. That could be interesting. Yeah, I... Oh, man. I, I wish... I wish I liked it. I don't. Uh, I it, To be fair, there are few and far between whiskeys that I haven't enjoyed. Uh, I haven't reviewed one yet on this podcast that I wouldn't buy again. So at least there's that, right? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, at the very least, you're going to finish the glass. I don't know if you bought a fifth or, you know, a little bottle or what you bought of it, but I assume you'll probably end up finishing the bottle at some point. You're not just going to dump it out. So it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not ideal, but we've done stupider things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm... I'm glad that I did these little tasting vials so I could kind of get used to, you know, the whole scotch thing because most of these vials I got in this big tasting box were, were scotch. Uh, I don't know, man. It, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to yuck any yums here, but I don't like drinking old shoe leather that vaguely tastes of cherries. So if you had a pipe in your hand, you'd probably like it 5% more. I mean, possibly, but I, as we will talk about on the cigar episode at some point, I have zero interest in smoking anything, so. That's fair. I, I can understand that. So, now, people are anxiously awaiting our topic this week. You know, uh, it, it's been widely accepted that, you know, you were just destroyed during our Council War episode. So, uh, you know, are, are uh, you ready for another beatdown in front of the public? Or excuse me, good sir. Excuse me, good sir. We both know that Nintendo ran Sega off the reservation, so... Uh, oh, I'm not saying it didn't in the end. <laughs> I'm saying in our little debate, you know, it just... You didn't bring it. You brought too much, but at the same time, it was not enough. All right. We'll let the listeners decide here, but you can introduce our, our topic if you'd like. All right. We are going to go with one of the great debates in the history of humanity. Literally, over a thousand years, this has been a debate Yeah, in one form or another. And it is coffee versus tea. Yeah. The black beans versus the brown leaves. And now, what do you prefer? Exactly. Now, it should be noted that whereas Mark is not a big fan of tea, uh, I am quite a big fan of coffee. Uh, but I am taking tea in this argument, and Mark is taking coffee. Because it would have been very short if it was the other way around. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I'll be the first to admit, uh, tea is older, certainly has an older documented history. So do you want to start? Yes, and thank you. End of episode, everybody. Tea wins this lovely argument. Uh, we just want... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I didn't do a whole lot of looking up history in this one because... I'm not a historian, and I just like talking about tea. I know tea's a lot older. There are very long-established tea traditions in China and Japan, I mean, East Asia in general. We know that the British have been drinking it for years. We also know that tea was partially responsible for starting the American Revolution. You are welcome, Mark Rossetti. We're going to talk about that. Don't jump on me yet. Yeah. <laughs> And I, uh, so I didn't look up a ton of the history because we all know that tea wins. Tea wins. Tea wins in the history department. It's been around forever. Every country drinks it. I'm sure you're going to tell us some cool history things about coffee that might try and win it. No, 
Tea's been around forever. We don't need to examine the history. There are books written about it. It started wars. We know that it was definitely, well, I mean, it was probably part of the slave trade, right? East India Trading Company. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. I mean, yes, it was part of the East India Company, although it wasn't one of the mainstays of the quote-unquote triangle trade. That was mostly sugar and... We don't have time to go into the triangle trade. That's a three-hour episode the way it is. Now, um, secretly, yes. listener, I didn't look up the history because if I say bad things long enough, Mark will just correct me and do it for me. <laughs> Carry on. All right. Well, I did a very Cliff Notes version of the history of coffee for two reasons. One, I am a historian, and doing research is like pornography to me. But two... I couldn't really remember, for as much as I love coffee, the origins of coffee. And there's a good reason for that. We don't exactly know what they are. Yeah, it only popped up in the 90s. It's fine. Yes, yes. The closest thing we have to an official story, or at least one that's widely accepted, is one from the uh, latter part of the 1400s. From Ethiopia, which it only makes sense. Ethiopia, of course, was the cradle of civilization however many millennia ago. So, of course, by the 1300s, 1400s, you had a herder, a shepherd, uh, by the name of Kaldi, who allegedly his goats were eating these dark berries, as he called them, from a bush. And they were just going ape shit. So basically, imagine Goat Simulator the game, but in Ethiopia. (laughs) And here it turns out that uh, they were eating coffee beans, of course. Caldi was very concerned about this. He thought his goats might have been possessed. So he went to his uh, local clergyman and said, I don't know what's going on here. Can you help us? And the clergyman found the beans, and he must have had a brass set on them because he decided to boil them up and make a drink out of it. And he drank it and went, oh, no, this is really good, actually. Hang on. And that's the closest thing we know to an accepted origin story for coffee. It was in the Arabian Peninsula by the 15th century. Of course, by the end of the 15th century, it was in Egypt, Syria, Turkey, Yemen, modern-day Yemen, you name it. You began to see modern public coffee houses, not totally dissimilar from what we have today. And, of course, the Arab Peninsula was and still is the Holy Land for Islam. So you had a lot of people making the pilgrimage to Mecca. They would stop at coffee houses along the way. They would sample this new drink and say, wow, this is quite good. And they would take their knowledge back to wherever they went. Uh, So for a while, it was actually called the Wine of Arabia, which is a doubly fun joke because, of course, Islam, you're not allowed to drink. So Arabia is a dry country, so you have this neat coffee. Black coffee came to Europe in the 17th century, and it was scary. The Catholic Church hated it. They called it a bitter invention of Satan, and it got to the point where Pope Clement VIII actually had to step in and decide whether or not Catholics could drink coffee. And he had some, and thankfully, speaking as a Catholic man, he enjoyed it, and so he said it was A-OK. Interestingly enough, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, this is actually one of the quote-unquote modern changes that they don't subscribe to. You're not allowed to drink coffee or tea mm-hmm. if you're a Mormon. So very slowly, coffee and tea at, at the time in Europe began to replace the breakfast drink of the day. Uh, this was by the latter part of the 17th century, early part of the 18th century. 
And this is sort of a double-edged sword. I'm a little torn on this because I love my coffee. I drink two to three pots a day, and no, that wasn't a misnomer. I did say pots. Jesus, Mark, how is your heart not just exploded? It's the strongest muscle in my body. But at the same time, the drink that it replaced, you know what the European breakfast drink of the late 17th century was? What was? Daniel? It was beer. Get out. It was beer. That's not a thing. It was a thing because, of course, the water was dirty and beer, beer was purified. It was pasteurized. So coffee began to replace beer, and I'm a little torn on that. But it began to take over, of course, by the uh, 1600s. It was in New Amsterdam, which is now modern-day New York. And as we talked about, you had the Tea Act, the American Revolution, where we were so patriotic for a while, we began paying double and triple the price of tea just so we couldn't buy tea from the crown. Because that was the only tax that was left was a two cent tax on tea. And we said, hell no, we'll give this smuggler 50 cents instead of your two cents. Until we realized, wait a minute, coffee isn't taxed. And you know what? The English don't really like coffee that much. So it'll be a patriotic act to drink coffee. And so very slowly, 1773, 1774, 1775, as the American Revolution is really beginning to boil to the surface, you had uh, us drinking coffee to the point where in the middle of the American Revolution, Thomas Jefferson famously wrote in a letter, I prefer coffee, the, perf- the favorite drink of the civilized world. Get out. That's what tea is. <laughs> and so there we go. Of course, the Dutch got into it. We talked a little bit about the trade. You had the East India Company. You had some of the Dutch sailors. You had some of the Italian city-state merchants, although they didn't get into it super hard because it is hard to grow coffee in Italy, of course. But then, you know, nowadays we think of coffee primarily as a South American exploit. Colombia, Venezuela, Brazil. And that owes its existence to Francisco de Malo Poeta. I probably butchered his last name there, and I apologize for that. Uh, who famously got an audience with the emperor to French Guiana and got the original coffee plants that he brought to Brazil. Uh, This was all around the turn of the 19th century, so the early 1800s. And, you know, that's where it is now. Spanish missionaries and traders brought it all over South America. Eventually, as we, you know, used the brutal policy of manifest destiny, we brought coffee to the rest of America, whether they wanted it or not. And uh, here we are. So, yeah, USA, USA, drink a cup of freedom, have your coffee. <laughs> now, I, it does need to be said, I do love a good cup of coffee. We get some local roasters around here. Shout out to Port City, who do a really great blend and, and a good roast. It, it's definitely, it's less of a thing in New England than like the micro and nano brewery culture that we have around here for beer. Uh, but there are quite a few really good roasters, and, and uh, there's quite a good few coffee shops that uh, you know, me and AJ really like around here. So I, I love a cup of coffee. I have been a tea drinker ever since I was a little kid. My mom would make me tea when I was you know sick or, or coming out of the cold, and I think I'm the only one of my, the three kids in my family that would have preferred tea over something like hot cocoa because I was a weird, pretentious little hipster kid. And, and I mean, we, we started way back with, like, Rose's tea bags. You know, the, you get the little statues, you get the giant box of tea bags, and, uh, you know, that's that's what we had growing up. And uh, I love tea. I love tea, I love tea, I love tea. But 
I am also a computer scientist and I went to school for it. And I found out pretty quickly that T don't cut an eight-hour coding session. So <laughs> I, I dove pretty hard into some pretty crap coffee in college. Luckily, there was a couple of coffee places on campus that made pretty good stuff because I burned it every time I tried to make it. But tea. Tea has always been a part of my life. And I feel like it's kind of an interesting analog. You know, I have never really participated in a traditional Japanese tea ceremony, but it's pretty hard to get as deep into martial arts as I have without meeting a lot of people who are super into tea. Uh, There's definitely some crossover. So rather than go the history route like Mark has, I don't even need to say anything. Again, tea wins the history. Uh, We've been doing tea across the world forever. Uh, I figured I'd kind of take a little bit of a worldwide tour around what kinds of tea are out there, you know, what's popular today. Uh, I can only really talk about what's popular from a U.S. perspective, but we can get pretty damn close here. So I did a little bit of research, and I've known this for a while, but I'm, I'm always curious to talk to people who know this. Mark, do you know what white tea, green tea, oolong tea, and black tea all have in common? They're tea. <laughs> Would you believe me? I'll be it? here all week, folks. <laughs> Would you believe me if I told you that they all came from the exact same plant, exact same tea leaves? Explain how. So when you pick tea off of the plant, the tea leaves start to oxidize. Fairly common process. And that's how we kind of get that, what we tend to think of as a traditional black tea. Uh, They are allowed to oxidize, they are dried, and then they are rolled or powdered or whatever it happens to be for whatever tea it is. But white tea, green tea, oolong, and black tea are the, it's the tea plant, and it's the same tea leaves, but at different levels of oxidation. So for for white tea, they are, uh, they tend to be plucked pretty young. They're generally a younger leaf. And the feel of tea. Yeah, exactly. And they are the least processed. You know, they, they make a very weak tea. They tend to be very low in caffeine. A lot of the the white tea kind of comes from uh, China, the Fujian province. And they're, they're picked when they're really young, the buds are really young, and they're tightly enclosed. So it's kind of a nice, delicate tea. Whereas you get into green tea, uh, and the the kind of interesting rule with green tea is green tea leaves plucked in the morning are ready to be brewed in, this, in a pot the, the same night. It's uh, an interesting process. They bypass the oxidation by kind of hitting them with a lot of heat right away and drying them up that way. So you get like a, a green. A lot of people I've talked to, either you love green tea or hate you hate green tea. Some people, it tastes like grass. Some people, it tastes really nice and fresh. I feel like I know more people who like green tea that don't, but that, that's not a judgment if you're, you're not a green tea fan. From green tea, we also get matcha, uh, which is a finely ground tea powder. And uh, the reason why I bring up matcha is because matcha is, uh, it's not just used for like drinking. 
I mean, there is a traditional tea ceremony that has to do with drinking matcha, and I definitely have the uh, tools to do a traditional matcha tea ceremony because I'm a nerd. But matcha as a finely ground powder is used in a lot of other things too. Uh, you can use it in baking. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting modern Japanese cooking that uses it for uh, all sorts of things. You, you can get like matcha wonton wrappers and all sorts of really cool stuff. So that's like green tea into matcha. Uh, oolong is what we kind of consider in the U.S. to be like a Chinese tea. If you ever go to like a uh, an American Chinese restaurant and you ask for tea, this is what they're going to pour you. And it's, it, on the level of oxidation, it, they're, they're considered semi-oxidized. They, they're like halfway between green tea and black tea. And then we go all the way into black tea where they're fully oxidized. You know, we, we get a strong brown-black color. So all four of those teas, and there's a fifth one that seems to be gaining some popularity in the U.S. Uh, it's called, and I'm going to butcher this, uh, Pu'er, I believe. Pu'er. And it's made from the same plant, but once the tea leaves are dried and rolled, the tea is fermented. Okay. Yeah. So... White tea, green tea, oolong, black tea, pu'er, and all made from the same plant. That they're vastly different flavors. I I don't know anybody that would drink white and black tea in the same day. Uh, it tends to be you know, you drink a black tea that day, you drink a white tea, you drink a green tea. Like it's maybe you'll do like one in the morning, one in the evening, but it, it they're so different. And that, like, the cultures around drinking them are so different that, that there tends to not be a lot of crossover unless you're a tea nerd. <laughs> I tend to love all of these teas because, again, tea nerd. From there, Mark, you've heard of chai. I have indeed. Chai is, again, the same plant. It's black tea leaves, but uh, chai is from India where they, they steep the same black tea leaves but they, they simmer it with milk and sugar and then spices like cardamom, ginger, clove, cinnamon. Chai has a really interesting history. Uh, in India, it, you know, it's, it's quite, quite common for every household to have their own family recipe for what they call spiced tea or masala chai, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, you know, when you think of chai tea over here in the States... You know, you don't think that it's, you know, as varied uh, as, you know, something like we might think of English teas. But chai tea, you know, has a ton of different variants to it. You know, we get into stuff like mate tea or herba mate tea, which comes from uh, South America, which is really interesting. It, it's a species of holly plant. So that now we're actually on a different plant, you know, six tea varietal, varietals later. Herbal teas, or the French word for them is tisans, are generally made with flowers, herbs. Uh, it's just what it sounds like. I call them teas because I'm not a snob. They're technically not even teas. They're technically herbal infusions because they aren't made from the tea plant and they tend to be made from non-caffeinated ingredients. You know, lemon tea, blueberry tea... 
uh, hibiscus tea, things like that. And then we, we get into the last varietal I looked up is uh, Ruibus, which comes from South Africa. It's a, uh, it's a red bush plant uh, native to South Africa that they make the tea from. And it's good. It's naturally sweet. It's got a bit of, it's got some tannins. It's naturally decaffeinated. So you, you mentioned the Church of Latter-day Saints. I've got some friends who are in that religion. And I used to have really fun decaf tea parties with them because even decaf coffee at some time, at, at times you're like, ah, well, maybe, can I really trust this is decaf? With, with, Herbal teas and ruibus, things like that. I mean, they're naturally not caffeinated. It's very easy to tell if a flower is caffeinated. So we used to like just throw little weird tea parties, and I would come over with two or three different fun things I found, and and hang out and and drink some tea. So that's what I looked up this week. Well, la di da. <laughs> Now, see, if I were to take us on a journey around the world, much like you did, it would be a lot harder, because currently, as of, well, at least 2019, Lord knows with the Rona, I couldn't find a current statistic, but as of 2019, there were no less than 53 nations on the planet Earth that were commercially exporting coffee. And if you look them up, each one of their coffees is just a little different. And it all comes down to you know, climate, like everybody loves Hawaiian Kona coffee. That has to do with the tropical storms they get and the cloud cover giving just the right ratio of water and shade. In Venezuela, they have what they call the hard beans, which they're grown at a minimum of 4,500 feet altitude and above. Uh, and that gives them a different uh, taste due to the oxygen content of the air at that altitude. Or if you go to Yemen, of course, it's a desert nation uh, on the Arabian Peninsula. They don't have a lot of water, so they have to dry process all of their beans after they harvest them, and that gives them a distinctive flavor. So basically, every country uh, has their own. I mean, you just know when you go into the 7-Eleven, I mean, the Colombian coffee is usually darker and stronger. You know, it's just little things like that. So that would be a little more difficult. What I found interesting is it's something I never really thought about until this episode, but generally, and of course, you know, we all know how dangerous generalizations are. Yes. Um, but generally, uh, their social structure, their social standing is almost completely different. Tea is usually a break time drink, a rest time drink. You know, we think of tea time over in England. Um, do you know when tea time is, DJ? Isn't it 2.30 in the afternoon? Well, see, it's actually partly a trick question. I asked an Englishman when he came over from the Daily Telegraph and he in, uh, interviewed me, and he told me that it depends on where you're from. He says, the Northerners, and he said it rather de derisively, I don't know what, they have a North-South thing going on over in England too, like we do, I guess. He said, the Northerners like it at four o'clock or so, and they'll have it more for dinner. Uh, but he, where he was from, which I believe he said was Sussex, they usually shoot for a 2.30, 3 o'clock time. Ha <laughs> ha, I knew a thing! You did know a thing. So there you go. And you have to have biscuits, which actually aren't really biscuits. Apparently they're cookies. I don't know. Very confusing. Um, but generally it's a, it's a rest drink. It's a relaxing drink. Whereas coffee is usually, at least in American media, 
associated with work. You know, you have coffee breaks at work. You have, you know, you go to your coffee shop and they're all Wi-Fi bars. You know, you bring your laptop with you. You sit down. Uh, you were talking about a little kid having tea when you're sick. You know, my mother worked the overnight shift, the 12-hour overnight shift in the emergency room for I don't know how many years when I was growing up, 15, 16, 17, something like that. So when I was a kid, there was always a pot of coffee on in our house any time of the day <laughs> just just to keep her going. And then, you know, you get into racing, you get into the motorsports world, and if you have uh, a good solid thrash session, like let's say maybe I might have binned another vehicle and the boys, <laughs> the boys have to work all night to put it back together to get me into the race the next morning. There's usually some pots of very strong coffee uh, being brewed. So uh, it's interesting, that sort of social standing. It's interesting, you know, just the two versions of the new and the old world. You know, uh, coffee, for the most part, is a very American thing. When I say American, I mean both North America and South America. It is. It's a very new world thing. And nothing was a better example of that than... Uh, when the gentleman, Benjamin was his name, he came in from London, a uh, reporter for the Daily Telegraph, and he said, can we meet up and have lunch? And I said, absolutely. And I met him at a small local place uh, near my house, and we sat across the table from each other, and he had a single cup of tea on a saucer with his little sandwich, and I had my bowl of soup and a giant huddle of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Basically like 12 cups to myself which I then pounded down and ordered another one before the interview was over. Uh, but it was, you know, basically, if you could sum up the new world, old world divide in one picture, there it was. That's amazing. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. Of course, health-wise, as much as it's going to annoy both of us, they're actually kind of a push. They have advantages and disadvantages going either way. Of course, tea just has all the antioxidants. It does. Coffee has the caffeine advantage. But uh, really, both of them, in moderation, are good. good part of a balanced diet. Both of them have been, uh, there are studies out that they are linked to reduce risks of cancer of all sorts of various types. And generally, people who consume, uh, it's a much smaller number than I normally do, but both coffee and tea, if you consume X amount per day, it's all in milliliters, I don't know what the hell the conversion is, uh, you're generally going to live longer. It improves your life expectancy by about a year, year and a half, which is not insignificant. So while we're having a lot of fun with this today, pick one of them, drink one of them, you know, and you're going to have uh, strong advantages. I will say I am, I am that guy. I don't understand the whole iced coffee movement. I understand iced tea a little bit more, but I don't drink tea really to begin with, but... I, I don't I don't get an iced coffee. I don't I don't understand. Coffee should be hot. <laughs> Whereas, ladies and gentlemen, I am a basic bitch and I love my pumpkin spice lattes. Well, it's not even you know. There's the stereotype now of the basic white bitch with the UGG boots and the pumpkin spice you know uh, iced coffee. It's not even that. I just it, to me it tastes different. To me, it loses something when you chill it. And I mean, I know cold brew is a thing. And I guess that's part of the argument with a cold brew is that it is a little different taste, but I, I don't know. I never adapted to it. Um, Interesting. I never, I never put anything in my coffee either, so there's that, which doesn't help. See, I'm I'm the exact opposite. I put nothing in my hot tea because I know how to make it. 
nerd. And uh, <laughs> I put everything in my coffee. I tried for like six months to drink uh, black coffee. I started off really good week one and then just the rest of the six months was me slowly adding back in milk and sugar because I can't fucking do it. See, I, I was that gatekeepy motherfucker the one day I was in Duncan and I just wanted my extra large black and there was a young lady in front of me and my right hand to God, she ordered 17 creams and 17 sugars. Oh, that's too much. And I, I did very politely, but I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, I have to ask you, wh- why? Why do you put so many in? And she said, oh, well, that's really simple. She goes, I just don't like the taste of coffee. And I said, well, then why do you drink it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I just, I don't like the taste of tequila, but you don't see me drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I don't understand that. And it, it's, it's very confusing. That was the hardest part when I had my oral surgery a couple of months ago. The, they gave me a whole big laundry list of things you couldn't do. You couldn't smoke. You couldn't, you know, eat anything basically solid for two weeks, yada, yada, yada. And the doctor's just going on and on and on, reading all these things. And finally he says to me, and do you drink coffee? And I said, look, yeah, I do. And guess what? I'm not stopping. And he said, well, that's fine. But, you know, depending on the temperature and everything, you could hurt yourself. You know, you could burn. And if you burn the stitches out, you might get infected and yada, yada, yada. And I just kind of sighed. And he said, well, why don't you drink iced coffee? And I believe I said I'd rather die. To which he said, well, why don't you... He goes, how do you take your coffee? And I said, black. He goes, well, try putting milk in it. Yeah. So for two weeks, I, I was putting chocolate milk in it. At least gave it a little mocha flavor. It, was, it wasn't good, but it was tolerable. I could at least drink it. But the wife was having a field day with me, you know, putting chocolate milk in my coffee after all these years. <laughs> she enjoys, you know, all the iced flavored... Uh, when... Uh, Linda was running the small little coffee house by my place. The one I took you to, DJ, the last time you were in. Oh, yeah, I love it. Uh, I went there the one day and uh, got my usual coffee. And as I was pulling in, the wife had texted me and said, hey, if you're going to Linda's, you know, get me a coffee. And so I just looked at my phone. I looked up at her and I said, do you know what the hell the goddamn chemistry experiment is that my wife orders? And she really perky went, yeah, she's the only one who gets that. Hang on. And then she made her whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> so I said, that's a problem. If they know your drink order by name, that, that's generally a problem. Yeah. But So that's, that's coffee versus tea. Uh, I will say tea is, does have much better healing benefits than coffee in certain respects. You know, when I blew up my throat a few weeks ago, I was drinking all the tea in the world. But nothing, and I'm sorry, nothing for my money gets rid of migraine like coffee. I mean, yes... But it's also because the the thing that you need to get rid of a migraine is literally caffeine and, like, a leaf. Well, it's true, but you're forgetting the very important placebo effect. If I have a very bad headache, I can just make a pot of coffee and just smelling it, it will start to go away. Oh, of now, course. Ob- now, obviously, that's purely mental, but it works. It It does. I, uh, so I went ahead and I want to close this out by talking a little bit about like tea preparation. Okay. Because, uh, I think there's some, I, I looked up some interesting ways to prepare tea and some interesting ways to prepare coffee. And so I am a huge fan for tea and this is, we're going to get into some hipster territory here, folks. 
My favorite kind of tea is blooming tea. You ever had blooming tea? No. So blooming tea tends to be herbal. You know, some of them are are tied with like green tea or, or white tea. But the entire thing behind blooming tea is you make it in a glass teapot so you can see it. And you drop this little ball, uh, this little tied ball into, into the teapot and you pour water over it. And then you watch and as the tea begins to absorb water, it opens into a flower. That's unnecessary. It's amazing and it's so good. I still am rationing some old Tivana teas, which they're, you know, uh, really big tea fans will tell me to throw it out at this point, but I don't care. You can all suck bub. And I have a really good peach tea. It's a peach white tea that uh, is a blooming tea, and it looks really pretty when it's open. And it's part of the whole thing. Like, you get the smell, you get the taste, you get to have, like, the teapot sitting there in your desk. It's great. There are really interesting ways to prepare coffee, I'm not getting into, we don't have enough time to talk about tea temperatures and coffee grinds and roasts. Oh, dear Uh, Jesus, no. No, we're we're not going to get into it. I literally am looking at a table right now of various temperatures uh, at which to prepare tea. And most of the, most of like the heavy teas, like blacks and crap, are like 200 degrees. Whereas some of them are way lighter. We're not going to talk about that stuff. Uh, but there is a really interesting like vacuum and gravity method of preparing coffee. You can get these special coffee pots where you put the coffee grind in the top beaker that gets inserted into the bottom beaker. There's like a stem on the bottom of it. And you put the water in the bottom beaker, you put it on the heat, and as the water boils, it gets sucked up into the, the top and brews your coffee, and as soon as, like, you know, a timer's done, you move it off the heat, and as the bottom beaker finishes and just kind of starts cooling, the the gravity sucks the, the coffee back down, and it's, like, pre-filtered. I have had coffee in a few of these. I, I haven't bought one. I actually was looking at one Saturday night when I was getting my surge plug. We were at Target, the wife and I, and they had one. And I had it in my hands, and I got the classic, you have enough coffee pots at home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, I was chastised into putting it back. There are a lot of different ways. I tend to only prepare coffee one of two ways at home. Uh, I've got a little, like, three-cup French press, and that usually, you know, will get me through a morning at work. Or I do prepare my own cold brew, which sounds super hipster, but it's literally, I put a fuck ton of coffee grounds in a quart-sized mason jar, fill it up with filtered water, shake it up, and put it in the fridge for 24 hours. <laughs> um, I, I have a French press. Uh, I don't use it as often as I should. I have a standard, you know, Mr. Coffee job at work that I usually make a pot right when I get to the office and then put into Al, who is my aluminum uh, insulated 15-cup hodl, which I can keep sitting on my desk with no heat source whatsoever, and the coffee will stay piping hot for about five hours. Uh, But at home, and if you're a coffee fan, um, I mean, if you're a true coffee hipster, you know, if if you actually use whatever the hell names they are at Starbucks, unironically, and if you, you know, actually call them a barista, then you're not going to want this. But if you're just somebody who enjoys coffee and you're kind of sane about it, 
spend the money, they're about $250, $270, and buy a Coffee Ninja. I have one. It's fantastic. You can make uh, regular coffee. You can make cold brew. You can make espresso. You can make cappuccino. You can do your own foam, the whole nine yards, all in one machine. Um, just do it. Spend the money. Buy one. Holy we're crap, even, I didn't know this existed. We're not even getting paid to plug this. No. Um, I bought it with uh, my Christmas money one year, a couple of years ago. The wife loves it. She makes all her iced coffee stuff. Um, you know, you make a cold brew with it, throw it over ice, and buy your flavored creamer of personal preference. You have not quite Dunkin' level, but pretty damn good for at home iced coffee. Um, the espressos you can literally make as strong as you can handle. It's up to personal preference, and the machine will throw it at you. It comes with a book of recipes. It's it's a good deal. Buy one. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm looking at this thing. It it's pretty beefy, guys. I mean, it doesn't seem to take out a lot, take up a lot of uh, nope. you know counter space, but it looks pretty. And, you know, it has your usual timer. I mean, to me, that was one of the greatest inventions, you know, in the history of mankind. You know, as a historian, you have the Gutenberg movable-type press. You have the internal combustion engine. You have penicillin. But when there was a coffee maker with the clock in it that would turn itself on and off, that's, ooh, that's up there, man. That's top five. That was, you know, one of the greatest things. I remember the first one we got at our house. It's like, wait a minute, you just set the clock and it makes coffee? Hold on a minute. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, so I might set up at home. You know, that that's pretty much it for coffee. I don't do a ton. For tea, uh, I mean, we just have teapots. Uh, I've got a bunch of different tea strainers. And I did, I did go out of my way to buy myself one kind of fancy thing. I think it cost me like, like maybe 50 or 60 bucks. Um, but it is a small carafe on a, on a little pedestal and it, it's only purpose is to heat and froth milk for lattes. Okay. Uh, my favorite drink, uh, of all times, my favorite hot drink to ever drink is called a London fog. You ever had a London fog? I have indeed. They are my favorite. Um, so I make them with lady gray. You can make them with Earl Grey, but it's Lady or Earl Grey tea with some lavender thrown in, a splash of vanilla extract, and some sugar, and then you pour the steamed milk over the top of it. Now, this doesn't steam it. It just kind of heats it. Uh, I I like that. I, I, I find steamers to kind of be a little burny on milk sometimes, and this kind of just gradually heats it and froths it which is really nice but london fog go check it out everybody it's up there with the pumpkin spice latte for me which i can now make at home because i did get a shaker of pumpkin spice see i don't like pumpkin spice anything latte or otherwise i'm just not a pumpkin guy no it's you do know there's no pumpkin in a psl right well yes i i know that but it's just something about it still tastes like pumpkin to me i don't know i don't well it's because you're wrong it's fine I, I, on this one, judging by the vast majority of Americans, I am wrong. Yes. P- pumpkin is, is a big thing. You know, every Thanksgiving, you know, my mother makes all these pumpkin pies, and I just sit in the corner with a one apple, like, y'all are weird. Fair. But that's uh, that's all I got. I mean, I could keep talking about teas. I could tell you guys some awesome uh, tea shops that I know about. Um, 
online. Uh, for anybody who is a T fan and has been for a little while, um, we all mourned the day that Starbucks shut down Tivana. Uh, but there are some tea shops out there if you. Uh, go online and just search for, you know, Tivana Tea. Uh, in the first few results, you'll get uh, a couple of tea shops that have tried to replicate some of their flavors. So uh, I definitely recommend going out there. Uh, there's some pretty good samurai chai uh, lookalikes out there that have done a good job. And uh, I have an entire cabinet full of teas. So uh, I think we can safely say that teas have definitely won this war. So, Mark, why don't you take us out? See, I, I disagree. You know, I, if I can misquote Caesar, you know, weenie, weedy, didici. I came, I saw DJ was conquered. <laughs> uh, because once again, I have triumphed in one of our gladiator, intellectual gladiatorial combat. But that being said, we could bicker with one another all day, and we usually do. We do. You all don't want to see that. So thank you all for listening. Yeah. And, and listener, if you want to pipe in on this, uh, go tell us what you think. Be, be loud and, and, and keep this argument going. Yes. Regardless of what side of the aisle you fall on, own it. Be proud of it. <laughs> there, there are no wrong answers unless you're DJ. No, it's, but uh, no, seriously, <laughs> let us know either on Facebook uh, or on Instagram. Both of them are the Wit and Whiskey cast, uh, E in Whiskey, no H in Wit. Uh, we're at the Wit and Whiskey cast on, at gmail.com is our email. If you want to send us, uh, you know, info on this, if you want to give us whiskeys to try, whether they be well or otherwise, if you have topics you want to let us hear, or if you just want to give us an earful, by all means, we want to hear from you. We do. Um, of course, you could follow uh, new episodes that come out every Friday. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on our website. Uh, some of them are on Podbean. I have to work around that. We need to figure out a way to get more space. But I want to say the first five, first, I think it's the first five are up on Podbean. So you can, if, you, if, if this is your first episode, go back, listen to them all on Podbean, then catch up on a different app. Yeah, definitely. Um, big thank you to Nuno Henry Silva. He did our intro and our outro. We love you, Nuno. We love and you, guy. Uh, we're going to have a link, as always, to his SoundCloud. Definitely give him some love because he is helping us make this possible yeah, and every a, week. A quick shout-out to Nuno. He uh, just let me know that his newest album is getting reviewed, I think, this week. So, oh, cool. uh, yeah, if you guys want to check out his, his newest album on that SoundCloud link, that would be really cool. I'm going to have to look that up this week. It'll be good work listening. Yes. So, all right, I guess it's, it's the week now. You throw three at me. What are we doing next week? Oh, let's see. How about Legos? Ooh. Uh, the Roman Empire. Ooh. <laughs> and cigars. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, this isn't fair. Uh, well, I think, I think we're probably getting near the end of season one. And as much as I want to do it, the Roman Empire is going to be a two-part episode. It's just going to be. Yeah. So we're just, we're going to have to take that one out. Do we want to do Legos or do we want to do cigars? Well, I, I'm going to, I'll go out on, on a little mental gymnastics. We just did a leafy stimulant this week. 
<laughs> so, so let's not do two in a row. Let's let's not chew our food twice. So let's go with Legos. I'm so excited. I have so many opinions. So, yes, next week, join us, ladies and gentlemen, same bat time, same bat channel for something that, well, is very Batman oriented, especially recently. Uh, We're going to so do true. Legos and whiskey. Uh, can we promise an appearance by Lex? Lex will join us for Legos and whiskey. Excellent. We can, we can explain the origins of Lex. We can. Which is, which is basically me ripping off AJ. <laughs> but, but we'll make it sound better next week. I promise you. Awesome. So, well, ladies and gentlemen, until next week, dig out your Legos, and we'll see y'all then. Thank y'all. Salute. Cheers. Cheers.